Hey everyone, it's Christina, Tim and Sean here from The Good GP. You may have noticed that we have been a bit MIA this year. Well, we are back. But before we get into this episode, we have some changes we wanted to share with you, as well as some good news. Yeah, that's right, Christina. Since 2016, The Good GP has been produced by the amazing team at RACGP WA, and we're so grateful for their support. In particular, we'd like to give a shout out to Hamish Milne and Lisa Francis, who have put so much effort throughout this time. Moving forward, The Good GP will be produced by the team at Talking Health Tech, a leader in the innovative health podcast space. The good news for you guys is that not much will change. It's still us, same name, same format, and we'll still be delivering short and punchy episodes on all things general practice. We're hoping that with this change, we can get episodes out to you more frequently and engage with you, our listeners, more. Speaking of which, we'd love to hear from you. If you have any feedback, suggestions for future topics, or generally want to say hey, drop us a line at thegoodgp at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. You're listening to The Good GP, the podcast for busy GPs. Before we start today's podcast, I'd like to acknowledge that Jerome and I are meeting on Wajuk country, the traditional lands of the Noongar people, and I pay my respects to the elders past, present and emerging. Welcome to The Good GP. I'm Sean Stevens, and today I'm interviewing Jerome Chu. Jerome is the Vice Chair of the Australian Computer Society in Western Australia. He's a certified professional in cybersecurity and he runs a small business IT consultancy providing managed services and advisory services to the health and medical sector in WA and he's been doing this for over 10 years. Jerome is also a partner of the Australian Cyber Security Centre. Welcome Jerome. Thank you Sean, great to be here. Great, let's rip straight into it. What are the three most common cybersecurity incidents GPs may experience, John? Well, one of the most common is through clicking links or opening attachments in phishing emails. Phishing emails are fake emails that you receive pretending to come from someone you know or trust. On clicking this link or opening the attachment, uh, this immediately downloads and executes the malware. Now, you may not notice anything at all happening because all of this will be working silently away in the background. And uh, over a certain period of time, this will then rear its ugly head after it's finished discovering and identifying all of your data and copying it out. Mm. Uh, The second common uh, incident you may experience is through the homepage in uh, Google search. A lot of people are not necessarily aware of this. And what they do is every time the web browser is opened, you usually search for Westpac, you know, Medicare, human services. You don't actually type the Westpac URL in directly, westpac.com.au or racgp.org.au. The search results are displayed. Very, very often, the first three or four results will be advertisements. And the problem with that advertising uh, links at the very top is that the hackers will buy the advertising space and use that to host the malware. And so this is called malvertising. So if you click on a malicious advertising link, it can take you to a fake website, which may or may not download malware in the background, but it certainly will harvest your credentials if you are prompted for a login and you do supply your credentials. Lastly, we use uh, cloud services on a daily basis as well. So, you know, things like email, 
Dropbox, log into pathology web portal, and so on and so forth. Uh, so having short and easy to guess passwords significantly increases the risk of compromise. So what hackers will do is they will brute force your password. That is, they keep repeatedly guessing what your password is until they actually finally get in. So therefore, using the same password or a variation of the password can lead to not just your email being compromised, but Dropbox and any other services that share the same password, potentially all at the same time. Hmm. Jeez, quite a bit to worry about there. So basically, don't click on any link that you're not 100% sure of and don't open any attachments that you're not 100% sure of. So certainly, if you do not trust the sender or you have a niggling suspicion in the back of your head, it is much safer to confirm with the sender through a different means. Don't email back. So call the sender or text the sender to confirm that they have actually sent you something legitimately. It is getting uh, increasingly difficult to differentiate between a fake email and a genuine email these days. And uh, the, the sender's email could also be compromised, which then uh, may also lead to additional issues with uh, recipients. And that's why we say to confirm with the sender via a different channel that the email you received is legitimate. Mm, okay, no, that's really good advice. So what are the three most effective or simple things practice owners and contracting GPs can do to mitigate these risks? Right, so perhaps the most effective step anyone can take is to enable two-factor authentication or multi-factor authentication on every single service and login that you use, where it is offered. I understand some cloud services or some email services do not offer two-factor authentication. And this can be a little limiting, but you may wish to consider moving to an alternative product or service if so. This will greatly increase your security posture and it will mitigate the brute force password attempts that I was talking about previously. Because what happens is uh, if the hacker guesses your password, they'd still then need to get past the second factor, which is either a six-digit code that's texted to you, or it could be a notification on your phone to accept the notice, or it could be an email with the six-digit code, and so on and so forth. So the next thing is you could also subscribe to email filtering a high quality email filtering service will remove the vast majority, 99, over 99% of phishing emails, fake emails with malicious links before they even get into your inbox. This will significantly lessen the amount of junk emails and fake emails that you would see. And as a result, you know, it's also then less likely for you to accidentally click on something as well. Installing antivirus also mitigate uh, a lot of these problems, especially if you do accidentally click on something that level of protection then would hopefully uh, kick in to stop the malware from being downloaded or executed at all in the first place. Great. So can you give us some examples? Most people are familiar with antiviruses, but can you give us some examples of some email filters that are reputable? Uh, if you're subscribed to the Microsoft 365 ecosystem, you can use the Microsoft 365 add-on subscription which is called, and this is Microsoft's marketing <laughs> craziness, uh, uh, Microsoft 365 Defender for Office Plan 1. Uh, this, you know, it's a bit of a mouthful. <laughs> nice short thing. name, yeah. <laughs> <Amazing>. <laughs> 
this will actually uh, scan all incoming emails and outgoing emails. And basically, if the uh, service detects there's an attachment or a link, the service will go to that link on your behalf and make sure that there's no malware or, and open the attachment on your behalf first to inspect it to make sure that there's nothing malicious before it actually then delivers the email into your inbox. Okay, all right. So two-factor authentication, email filter, and make sure you've got a good up-to-date antivirus. Great advice. About the uh, uh, filtering is, you should most uh, most definitely get uh, filtering on the cloud end. So, but by that I mean is the filtering service that's provided by a cloud provider, so that the emails get filtered there first and vetted before they're dropped, downloaded to your device. Because the problem with the filtering that's in software that's installed on the device is that the emails are already downloaded to the device before the filtering then checks for any malicious uh, content. Gotcha. So it needs to be filtered before it even gets sent to you. So basically goes from a hacker to the cloud, cloud filters it there, and it never gets downloaded onto your computer in the first place. That's, That's the right. ideal setup. That's yep. the ideal setup. Yeah, makes good sense. Now, Jerome, this podcast is not to, meant to be an exhaustive list of things that we can do. Where can we go to get further information? Uh, so the RACGP website has quite a lot of information about information security. So if you go to racgp.org.au, uh, at the very top, if you click on running a practice, another heading will appear called information security. Click on that and there are lots of resources there available for you. Additionally, you can also go to the Australian Cybersecurity Centre website. This is at cyber.gov.au. There are lots of resources for individuals as well as businesses. Excellent. And we'll include those links into the notes underneath this podcast. Thank you very much, Jerome. This has been really informative and I really appreciate your time. And I look forward to speaking again soon. I'd remind people that we do have our email address, thegoodgp at gmail.com. And do have a look at the notes underneath this podcast for further information. Thanks again, Jerome, and we'll speak soon. Thanks, Sean. Thanks for having me. And we might uh, do another session, a follow-up session again later. Sounds good. Thank you. See you. Thanks for listening to the Good GP Podcast, a proud member of the Talking Health Tech Podcast Network. Make sure you're subscribed on your favorite podcast player so you don't miss an episode. If you have any questions or would like to contact The Good GP, send an email to thegoodgp at gmail.com. The content of this podcast represents the opinions of The Good GP, hosts and guests of the show. The content is aimed at general practitioners working in the Australian context and is not intended to represent medical advice. Any listeners experiencing symptoms or who have concerns about their health should seek advice from a registered health professional. We make every effort to ensure that the information shared is accurate and up to date at the time of recording, but welcome any feedback or corrections. The content of this podcast is general in nature and does not refer to specific patient management. We recommend all health professionals review local and up-to-date guidelines prior to any clinical decisions.